0: And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If, then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Let us go to the lord in prayer father we come before your holy word in great expectation that this word will change us to open up our eyes to make us feel uncomfortable so that we would see you and understand that we are far from being you but lord let us not be discouraged let's just understand lord father that we now have the power and ability to be like you and that you love us and this is what you want from us Father, help us to understand your words. Let us not feel condemned, but let us feel the grace that is bestowed upon us. That is what we need today. We need your love, we need your power, and we need you present. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The text before us today is a simple one. There's not a lot of thought that has to go into this one. It's one that you can read and it simply tells you what you need to do. And Jesus gives us two simple commands, only two. The first one is that we ought not to be anxious. He tells his people, do not be anxious about your life. The second commandment is to sell your possession and give to the poor. That's actually one commandment. It's to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, just a quick note about Jesus' commandments. Commandments are often hard. They're not easy. When you hear the commandments of Jesus, you shouldn't say, oh, I got that one in the bag. Because that either means you've misunderstood the commandment or you're a liar. Those are the only two options. Because if you think about it, Jesus only gives difficult commands. And I, I think he does this on purpose because he doesn't want you to rely on your own willpower. He wants you to understand that this can only be done if you have faith in Christ, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so I did a quick study. So what commandments do we not find in the Bible? So there is no commandment to love your friends, oddly enough. Any human can do that. You will love your friends. Parents, there is no commandment in the Bible to love your children. That is not something that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is something natural that every parent ought to do. This one I enjoy because I love telling it to my youth group. There is no commandment to have fun. People automatically want to do that. That is not a commandment we find in scriptures. And interestingly enough, there is no commandment that says love yourself. That is very natural. That you do not need the Holy Spirit to love yourself, it just comes to you. So, with that being said, when you hear a commandment from Jesus, you should cringe a little bit. And what that cringe is, is usually a part of you that needs to be put to death. And that can only be put to death by your faith in Jesus Christ. So when I give you these commandments, don't say, okay, I just need to buckle down and get stronger. No. Oftentimes we need to look to Christ more and ask and plead with him that he would help us accomplish his will. So the first one, do not be anxious about your life. That is almost an impossible request. Everyone is anxious about their life. And God knows everyone is anxious about their life. And how do we know that God knows this? If you read throughout the scripture, this is the most given commandment. Do not be anxious about your life. The second one is actually sing to the Lord. So those are the two main commandments. But do not be anxious about your life is hard. So what does this tell us? What does this commandment tell us? First, that means that the regular human default condition is to worry. So if you are suffering from some anxiety today, you're human. You are human. There's nothing wrong with you. There's no problem. It just means that you are human. And God is telling you not to be anxious about what you will eat, drink, or wear. Now, it, it, it goes down a little bit deeper. And I want to make this a little bit more contextual. Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about living in New York City. And that's where we all collectively laugh and smirk and say, but Jesus never lived in New York City. (laughs) But that is what he is telling us. And all of us should cringe a little bit because the reality is it is hard living in New York City. It costs a lot of money. We are constantly thinking about it. And there is real fear that, comes with living in New York City. Those are not made up. That's not make-believe. There are real anxieties that are legitimate. But yet God is telling all his people, those who believe in Jesus Christ, not to be anxious. And why is he telling us not to be anxious? He says because if you remain anxious or if you remain with this anxiety, you are going to miss out on a great opportunity in life. And what is that opportunity? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us at this point. I will get to it. But he immediately goes to comfort the people once again. Before I tell you the purpose of life, let me just tell you why you should stop being anxious. And so Jesus says, look at the ravens. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a raven in New York City. I'm sure they're there. But so I thought, what would be a little bit more applicable to us? And I thought about the pigeon consider the pigeon those winged rats Um, if you look at them they don't actually work they don't do anything but poop they sit and they invade our space but if you look at them they are well fed more than being well fed they are fat And so if we just sit and even consider these things rather than say, oh, they're disgusting, if you look at them, you would see that even God has provided even for this unremarkable bird. And we need to consider that, and that should be reassuring to us because if God is telling us that he's gonna take up all of creation, not just the beautiful things, but all things, how much more will he take care of you you son and daughter of God, He will take care of you. But some of us, but some of us, are not usually satisfied with that illustration, because we say, "No, that you don't understand my life. You don't understand what's going on." And so Jesus then goes to the other extreme and he says, "Okay, if you want to worry, let's say you worry. What can you actually change?" Now. Jesus presents an interesting metaphor, and he says, consider time. Everyone is subject to time. It's universal. Everyone has to deal with it. Can you change time? Can you even add an hour or a minute to your day? You can't. Time is one of those things that just passes us by. And so Jesus says, if you can't even change time, then what can you do? Now, this is no um, small thing, and I've always thought about this metaphor. I'm saying, that's actually a pretty big deal. That has nothing to do with food or clothing. That is metaphysical. But I think what Jesus is getting at is this, that you are not in control of your life at all. None of us are. Why are we here? You didn't get to choose your ethnicity, your family, you didn't get to choose your situation, what state you would be born in, what country you'd be born in, and he's saying you can be anxious about all these things, what's the point? You won't be able to change it. There are so many th- so many things out of your control, even if you were to be anxious about it, what purpose would it serve? And so Jesus is also, again, pointing back to himself and saying, I am God. And he's putting us back in our place into this false thinking that we are masters of our own destiny. That we are where we are because of what we did. He wants us to get out of that thinking. And that's a good teaching. If you're happy and wealthy today, that's not because of you. There are circumstances and things that you did not control that allowed you to get to that point. If you are poor and sad, that is also not your fault. There are circumstances, things you were born into, things that happened to you that you could not control. And that is where you are today. And so God is just saying nobody is in control of their lives. Stop worrying. Because even if you could worry, you couldn't do anything. Now, oftentimes people hear that phrase, just trust in God, and things will be taken care of, and people think that's a naive idea. Of course not. You have to fix your life. Now, if you think about it, it's absurd. When people say it's absurd to believe that God is in control, I ask them, what's the other reality? What's the other truth? What is then your reality that you want to impose onto me, convince me? What is the truth then? That I am in actual control of my life? That there are things that I can shift? If that is true, why can't I change the world? Why can't I change all these things? Why can't I change these habits and patterns? Why can't I do all this? I didn't ask for this body. I didn't ask for this height. I didn't ask to be a male. I didn't ask for any of these things. And now you're saying I can simply change and things will get better. That that seems more crazy than believing that God is in control. The belief that you have the power to change the course of your own history or the history of the world is crazy. It is. There are so many things that we cannot control. We are fragile beings, but yet here Jesus constantly says, trust me, I created the world. I created you. I know the number of hair on your head. I know how many breaths you will take in your life. Put your trust in me, because I will take care of you. Now, God doesn't simply rebuke us, though he does. He says, oh, you of little faith. But he does so in a way that always brings back his good nature and his grace. For what he says is this, don't be anxious. I know these things are important. And I love that he adds that line there because he's not saying we are foolish for thinking about how we're going to eat or how we're going to have clothes on our backs. He actually acknowledges that these things are very important. But all he's saying is I know they're important and I will help you. I will take care of you. Don't focus on those things. Because if you are anxious, you cannot pursue the greater things he has in store for you. And is this not the Lord's Prayer, in which we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thou will be done as on earth as in heaven. And then immediately after he says, give us this day our daily bread. So he knows it's important, and he's not saying don't worry about it. He's saying worry about it. But first, seek the kingdom of God. And this is the big reveal. This is the whole purpose of your life. It is seeing and seeking the kingdom of God. You have been saved by Jesus Christ himself, not so that you can worry more, but that you can see the beautiful, wondrous kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean to see the kingdom of God? because that's somewhat abstract. Um, We could fill it up with our own things, but I think Jesus here tells us what it means to see the kingdom of God, and this is where we get our second commandment. It is to sell your possessions and give it to the poor. That is what is meant to be in the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to quickly address uh, the sell your possessions and give to the poor. Most um, interpreters have taken sell your possessions and treated it as a separate command, but I just want to make note that this is actually one commandment and not two separate commands. God does not simply tell you to sell your possessions. Now, for some of you, you may be thinking, who would have ever thought that? And the church historically has thought that that is what Christ wanted. That is why we have monasteries, uh, monks, people who rid themselves of worldly possessions because they think material things. Material things are bad. But here, the commandment is sell your possessions so that you can give it to the poor. It's a big difference. And how we know that this is a big difference is because we have to look at Jesus' life and what he did. Jesus did not become man simply for the sake of becoming man. He became man and he died for his people so that he can enter into communion with his people. Jesus did not simply die, or simply did not become man, raise up, and then go off into a mountain by himself, and then come down right before he was about to die, and then die and say, I saved you guys. He was always with the people. He was always in the midst. He was always fellowshipping. He was always talking with the poor and everybody. He was living a life that was full, that was a glimpse of what the kingdom was going to become. So. Being part of the kingdom, understanding why you are saved, means this. It means that you are to be ready. To get rid of your possessions and give to your poor. To serve one another is the quick summary of this commandment. It is to serve one another. We are not to just live for ourselves. And that is what it means to be anxious you're so consumed about the thought of yourself and well-being you are unable to think of others and Jesus has freed you from thinking about yourself Jesus has freed you so that you could really appreciate what it means to be in the kingdom and that to be with a family redeemed by Jesus to be in a community in which grace abounds in which love Abounds. And that's why Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And the parable right before that, Jesus gives a um, story about a farmer who hoards things for himself. And I want to read that passage for you. It comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 19 to 20. This is what the farmer says when he realized that he may run out of food. He says this, and I will say to my soul... Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It sounds like all the retirement ads that are given to you. But God said to him, Fool, the night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God here the people of god are to heed this command the very last verse of our passage for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so do not store up for yourself things in this world and jesus has made it clear elsewhere in matthew 25 that you will be judged by how you've approached your life On the last day of judgment, Jesus will not say, what do you believe? He does not say that. If you read Matthew 25, he will talk about how you lived your life. Did you give to the stranger? Did you welcome the poor? Did you feed the naked, the hungry? Did you do all those things unto those people? Because when you did them, you did them for me. Here the call to the Christian is great, and it's hard. I don't want you thinking that when I'm saying this that I'm already doing this. This was hard for me to read, because I don't do this. It's hard, it's hard. I live in New York City just like you, and the temptation is, man, I want to stay here for at least two to three more years. I need to save. You know, I can't think about life, because that's just way too expensive. But here Jesus is saying, don't worry. And for us, we need to take that to heart. We need to take that to heart and begin living for that. Here what Jesus is um, um, stating before us is the ultimate goal. All of us need to get to a point in our lives where we are willing to sell all uh, all our possessions and give to one another, and especially to the poor. Are you there yet? I can say in all honesty, I am not. And there is no shame in that. There is a long process that we need to go to, but we are not off the hook. This is definitely the goal. This is not some fluff. This is what Jesus requires from all of us. And he says you can do it, not because you are able to do it on your own willpower. It's because I have died for you, and I have resurrected, and now I live in you. It's hard, but Jesus has said at oftentimes, it's worth it. So if we get everything we want, the house on the beach, the beautiful family, will you be satisfied with your life? It seems like we won't be. What's the point? We can't take any of that to heaven. It hasn't done any good for anybody. But if you are able to be like Jesus and give your whole life to the other, that is a life worth talking about, mentioning, and reveling in. Jesus wants this for all of us. He wants us to experience life. Life is about being like Jesus, self-sacrifice and giving to one another. This is a hard commandment, and remember, it can only be done if you believe in Jesus. You cannot do this on your own willpower. You will get destroyed if you try. As a church, we need to make this our goal, where we are selfless and we are sharing everything one another. There must be the poor amongst us so that we can ask them, are we providing the needs for you that you need so that they can say, yes, you are being a faithful steward of your things. Now, I'm about to close my sermon, um, but I did want us to give some hard practical steps that we can all be thinking about. Oftentimes we hear the message that we need to give to the poor, or, or some will say, well, how much do we need to give? And I want us to give, I want to give you guys some numbers to think about, some hard hitting numbers. Now, when I read these numbers, it was pretty hard for me. So I share this with great trepidation because I know that I will also be held accountable for this. Who are the poor? It's a very interesting question. Who are the poor? And it's hard to define who's suffering. Because if you, go, if you live in New York, everybody is suffering. Believe it or not, the rich are suffering. I had this conversation with a very wealthy man, and he says, oh, you know the saying, everyone is six weeks from being broke. And I said, I have never heard that saying in my life. <laughs> and he said, no, it's, uh, if you go to the Hamptons, we talk about it all the time. And I said, why are rich people talking about going broke in New York? He goes, it's so expensive here. It's like, oh, fascinating. Now, all of them, it's on their mind. They know. Now, they spend a lot of money, yes, but they pay for their kids. They have to have two houses. They have to have all these things. And for us, we might be like, oh, I'm not going to feel bad for them. Regardless, their anxiety is just as real as ours. That's it. That's all I'm trying to point out. I'm not saying whether it's valid. I'm just saying they are just as anxious as us. And so we all feel this anxiety. So if they are feeling it, for sure we are all feeling it. So who are the poor, though? Because everyone can probably make the case in New York City that they are the poor. But that is not the case according to the mayor's office. Who are the poor? And I want to give you some numbers for you. The poor are people who make $33,562, and the household has two adults and two children. So if you're looking at this individually, each person is making $8,390.50 Per individual, so that is what it means to be poor in New York City. Who are on the and they give us another vital statistic that I think is important. Who are on the verge of becoming poor? That's an, another essential thing. Those who are on the verge of becoming poor are 50, are people who make fifty thousand dollars, 300, 50343 dollars. Again, for two adults and two children, that comes out to approximately. per individual. So if you are making that much, you are on the verge of becoming poor. Startling enough, it's about 48% of New York City who are on the verge of being poor. So it's actually pretty big. So here are some things that I wanna say in light of those statistics. First of you, if you are one of those who are poor, or on the verge of being poor, I hope you listen to my first part of the message. You are not in your situation because of you or because it's your fault. There are things that are way out of your power and out of your control that has led you to be in that state. This is what we believe. And so there is no shame for where you are, but this is what I request. Let the church help you. God has made this commandment and given this commandment to the church, and we would be doing you a disservice and our Lord and Savior a disservice if we did not at least have the opportunity to help you. Do not be ashamed, please. You would be honoring us and allowing us to help you and allowing us to serve you. Now, for those of you who make more than that, and I gave us a little safety buffer, If you are making $70,000 and you have two adults and two children, or $17,500 as an individual, you should be giving to the poor, either financially or through time. What is the number? That is something that we can all give. If everyone here who is making above that gave maybe 10% or even 5%, that would help the poor incredibly in our church and outside. What about time? If you can dedicate 10 hours a week to the poor, that would be great and more than enough. Now, Jeffrey, now some of you say, Jeffrey, where did you get 10 hours from? Did the calculations. We have about 112 waking hours per week. That's assuming you sleep eight hours a day. So hefty amount. and. Um, Say you work about 50 hours a week, okay? So then you are left with about 62 hours of free time. If you just give 10% of your waking hours, that comes out to 11 hours that'll be dedicated to the poor. And people would say, well, what's the remaining time? We have 51 hours of free self time. That comes out to roughly seven hours a day. Now, I know it doesn't feel like it. (laughs) Trust me, when I did the numbers, I said, this is totally wrong. But if you just learn to prioritize, again, this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy, but God has not made it impossible. We have seven hours of free time daily that we can be giving to the poor. Now, if you do that, imagine what could happen. Now, I understand we have other things. We have hobbies, children. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying we need to at least begin to think about and prioritizing. Is it 10%? I don't know. Maybe it's 5%. I don't know. But as a church, we need to begin to have this discussion how we are going to help the poor amongst our midst because God has commanded it so. Now, I hope as you're hearing this that you are feeling a slight cringe because as I read it, I felt it too. I I feel like I can't. And that's a good and honest feeling. What we need to begin to pray is that feeling needs to die. And it can only die when we look to Christ himself. When we think about what the gospel is, Jesus who was rich in every way became poor for us so that he might enter fellowship with us and that is the goal. Our lives will be worth living if we just simply follow Jesus and do what he does. I guarantee you, none of you will regret living your life for Christ. That is a promise I guarantee for you and that I need to tell myself. So, brothers and sisters, it's simple to be a Christian believe in Jesus. Don't be anxious about your life and give to the poor. With that being said, may we all go to him in prayer and ask for this power to be on us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your power upon this passage. I must admit, Lord Father, I had to repent this week as I read about this passage. Or This is not my life. And I pray that you would forgive me. So I pray, oh God, that this would be our church. That we would ask for forgiveness, but we would not just stay there, that we would go. Learn to grow in your grace so that we are able to get rid of our possessions and give to the poor. Help us to have that mentality, that attitude, and that posture. For we know that if we do that, that we will be a church that is honoring to yourself. And more importantly, that will be honoring to the kingdom. Father, you love your bride, the church, and this is what you want from her. So, Father, give us the power to accomplish these things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.